Hey, I'm Camille Joy, the host and creator of the Moments of Joy podcast, the place that will leave you surely feeling motivated, inspired, and encouraged. Welcome to the show. I need the joy, the joy of the Lord in my heart. I need to make an exchange. This episode of Moments of Joy podcast is sponsored by Moments of Joy Apparel. Moments of Joy Apparel is a brand new Christian apparel line with a mission simply to spread the love of Jesus and the joy of the Lord. Moments of Joy Apparel was created to help believers spread the good news. John 3.16.17 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Join us on this mission by intentionally wearing your apparel. Check us out at www mojapparel.com and on social media at Moments of Joy Apparel. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another episode of the Moments of Joy podcast. If this is your very first time joining us on this community, it is my hope that after listening to this podcast, you will be inspired to focus on the joy. We go through many difficult things in life, but ultimately, God is in control. Today on the podcast, we're going to have a very hard discussion but one that is needed all across the board. I know that I have listeners of every single race and um, it is a needed conversation right now. The topic is young, black, and educated. MVPs, welcome back to the show. If you don't know what an MVP is, an MVP is a listener of this community that shares the podcast, that likes, describes, downloads, all of these things. I'm not in this community alone. MVPs, you guys are here with me. So welcome back, and I love you guys. Today's episode, I have two special guests. The first one is Deani Edwards. Deani is already a past guest. And if you haven't listened to her episode with her testimony, you're going to want to do that. She's an amazing young woman, a very powerful young woman, but I chose her because she's always educating on her social media platform about things that are um, gone under the table, injustices, about uh, many different things regarding African American and being curly in corporate African American women. Um, she's an established and a very credible voice that I love and she's here with us today. The other is Councilman Edward Ford Jr. all the way from Middletown, Connecticut. He's a wonderful young man on the rise who is very powerful in his own right. I mean he has become the youngest um, person to run and win his seat, um, I think not just in Middletown, but in this state, and I am honored. This is a real treat. Um, he is my sister friend's little brother, 
<laughs> and so he is family, and I'm honored to have him here today. So we have two special guests, two gems, and we're all going to have a conversation, and this should be a lot of fun. So guys, sit back, take notes if you will, <laughs> and here's our episode, Young, Black, and Educated on the Moments of Joy podcast. I'm very excited to have with me today, Deani Edwards and Edward Ford Jr., two wonderful and very um, strong and impactful voices for our generation. So guys, Deani Edward, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I thought about Black and Educated, um, number one, because that was a class that uh, my sister friend here, Diani, had taught to us in um, our Glam Empowerment Network, which is a mentorship program that we're both a part of. And so that's originally where I got the, the term Black and Educated from. So um, let me give you that because <laughs> I did not make that up. <laughs> Neither did I. So it's fine. <laughs> yes. And so I wanted these two um, powerful voices to come on just to have a conversation with us. It's so much going on right now um, in the in the world, in, in, in media, but unfortunately, this is something that has already been going on, and now we're just um, feeling the heat of it. And so we'll just get right into our discussion um, for this episode of the Moments of Joy podcast. And I wanted to just open up a little bit with um, the recent events that are happening, um, racially driven hate and police brutality. And um, I want to start with you, Diani, because I'm following your Instagram stories a lot and following um, the, the stories that you even find that we, we never knew about. There's so much yeah. police brutality going on that never makes um, mainstream media. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it's very disheartening. Um, the reality is the statistics on police brutality has been made public um, to, to a level uh, of degree, but everyone doesn't always have access to that information or even know to look for it. Mm -hmm. um, according to the mapping uh, police violence data, American police forces killed three people per day in 2019. And a lot of the stories that we're uncovering right now during this time and this moment are from 2019, mm -hmm. um, like Elijah McMillan. And that was August of 2019 that none of us knew about mm -hmm. um, for, the mo for, for the most part. So it, it's just you, when it seems like there's been a shift and things shift its direction and its focus, you realize what's really been happening all around you and just how desensitized you've been or even yeah. just detached. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big one, desensitized. Mm -hmm. um, what we see in the media growing up um, from the time that we're children um, definitely desensitizes us. I watched the response of my 13-year-old as I'm watching movies, and it's just, it's, it's so sad. He's like, they're just going to keep killing us. And I'm like, no, they're not. But it's just, you know, it, it's sad that that can be the reality um, because we've been seeing this since the time we've been born. But even our parents, um, you know, them growing up in the 60s and 70s. And so, Edward, what do you know about the process that police officers have to go through? There's no real way to... 
um, find out if they're racist or not before they're hired, is there? Well, you know, from what I understand, and I've only been on the city council in my city of Middletown, Connecticut, for about seven or eight months now. And what I understand is that they have to go through, of course, the academy. And once they're picked from the academy, um, they, they end up joining the force and so forth. But is there equity training? That's my question. We, uh-huh. I've, I've continued to ask that because I don't think that there's enough equity training. It's not adequate if there is. Um, there needs to be frequent training. It needs to be very consistent on, on, on a monthly basis of uh, continuing to, to process all of our officers, uh, I don't, you know, from the chief all the way down to the, to the lowest ranking officer in the department. Everyone should have to go through this training so that we are constantly staying on our toes about how our interactions with people and youth of color, especially, are going in our city. We want to make sure that we're being equitable in treatment. And no city is perfect. Even right. in a city like mine who hasn't necessarily experienced a case uh, like George Floyd's or, or um, uh, you know, Philando Castile's or, mm-hmm. or there's several examples that we could, we could use, Breonna Taylor's. We may not have experienced that yet, but we don't want to get there. We want to be preventative. Mm-hmm. We want to take pro, proactive steps and not be reactive. A lot of times we're reactive and we wait till something goes down. So I don't even want to get to that point. I want to make sure our officers are already equipped and knowing how to uh, interact properly with uh, people of color. And also, we have to realize that do we always need an officer to show up to the scene of a situation? Some scenes that may be domestic scenes, some scenes that really don't need someone with with that type of uh, force or a badge and a gun. Really, Uh just there could be a social worker that goes in Uh and that's able to handle it, clean and walk out. And no one had to to be arrested. No one had to potentially be shot or or, or tased or die. This doesn't have to happen all the time. So we really need to rethink how we're uh, doing policing and and all of the resources that we need to use in our communities. I, as I stated, I was watching a movie last night with my son and it was about um, a Southern state and they were building a KKK museum in the state. And by the end of the movie, we realized that it was based on a true story. And the level of racism that happened at the end of the movie, I uh, watching the movie, I thought that all of this was happening in maybe the 50s or 60s. But in, at the end of the movie, they started to show the facts and it was 2017. And I was in sh- total shock that that this race war was going on in this southern country. And and we have no idea as we sit in our homes. And so as 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 we grow and our children grow up and, um, you know, they're driving and they, they go from teens to, you know, young adults, what kinds of things should we be teaching them? And, and I hate to sound like, you know, you know, if you get, if you get pulled over, just be quiet. You know, if you come in contact with any police, just be quiet. But, but that's where we're at now. Uh, what do you, what do you say? Well, I've had this conversation with my sister, and I think it goes further than just their interaction with law enforcement. Uh-huh. Um, for example, it was it was a very, what would seem as minute example, but my niece was giving um, her recorded version of a goodbye, farewell wishes to a teacher that was retiring. And at the end, she said, and Black Lives Matter. And my sister, you can hear in the background, like, no, 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 don't say that. Mm-hmm. And it, it cuts out. 
And I said, why did you mute her? Right. She said, what do you mean? I said, we have learned to be muted in right. spaces as we as adults mm. because of the way that we are socialized as children. Um, it even goes to the question of, of what you posed to Edward of wow. how you are able to separate who is a racist officer to whom is not. Uh, the reality in that is people are socialized to view uh, one another in the ways that we do. If you right yeah. now just close your eyes and I say criminal, even though we're speaking against it, you may still picture a black man mm-hmm. because that is what you've been socialized to see. That is what you've been socialized to believe. So it, it's a process of unlearning that parents have to do and then be extremely aware in literally everything and use that even even their mistakes as teachable moments. And it, like in that example, go back and you know, we had a conversation with my niece of it is, it is okay to mm-hmm. use your voice and be consistently authentic of who you are in all spaces. She didn't say anything wrong in that moment. Right. Um, and it, and as a lot of times, just as it is in any other topic is about delivery. So I think teaching our delivery um, with officers really yeah. shouldn't be um, much different than we would teach what is appropriate when interacting with a store clerk because the reality is Mm. there has to be a shift across the board we've seen in so many videos time and time again when even with um and and last names are slipping me in this moment because i called elijah mcmillan and it's mcclain but yeah with with richard in atlanta Mm -hmm. with his situation you you saw um initially a video of him seeming as if he was running away or resisting arrest. But when they gave backstory, you see 43 minutes of him being cool, calm, collected, and respectful. Right. Exactly in the way that you would probably teach your young son. So in in many senses, it's it's not to, to keep this continuation of how to interact with the police Mm. more so because that still raises um, a, a fear that mm-hmm. I don't believe black children and black people deserve to live in any longer yes. rather than they can have an awareness without a fear. And mm-hmm. that should be taught as the same in the same scope that they would treat anyone. Just as when you walk into a family member's house, you say, okay, now we going in here. Right. <laughs> you mm-hmm. want to reel it in, you know, yes. from as, as loose as you may be at home, but they still get to present their authentic selves. Right. Oh, that's good. Thank you so much. Edward, do you have anything to add to that? The the only thing I want to add to that, because I I agree with what she's saying, we have to be authentic and uh, we don't need to live in fear, but we still have to use wisdom and know uh, how to treat everybody with respect, whether it's an officer or like she said, you know, whether it's a grocery store worker or uh, a teacher, whoever it is. You know, for me, honestly, my mother gave me that same talk. uh, You know, if you get pulled over by a police officer, Keep both hands on the wheel. Don't reach for your uh, uh, for your for your brush, or don't reach for your phone too late. Make sure you turn it right on so that mm-hmm. it's already can be recording, you know, or call me so that I can hear what's happening. Uh, uh, don't make any sudden movements, you know. All of these things she kept on telling me um, constantly as as I was growing up, and I would be like, you know, why why does she have to keep telling me these things? And, and of course, we find out why, and and we know right. why. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel like we know what to do. You know, she, she just brought up the, um, uh, Ms. Edwards brought up the example of Richard Brooks in Atlanta. And 
there was significant amount of time where they had a peaceful, cordial conversation. And then all of a sudden the officer goes to make an arrest and he's trying to figure out why am I being arrested right now? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that's something where he, he knew what to do. He, you know, a lot, of, a lot of us in these situations know what to do. We know how to be respectful. We know how to talk and be cordial. I feel that, you know, there's only so much that we can do. It, it's time for, for law enforcement to know how to treat us in return. Mm-hmm. You know, if we, if we yes. give 100%, but they don't know how to treat us, it's not going to matter. They have that intention to arrest to, to, to somebody with an evil intention to even, you know, and I'm not saying this is for uh, every officer, because I certainly right. don't believe that. I believe that there are certainly good officers, and the majority of officers are good, mm-hmm. but, if, but there's officers out there who, who may have the intention of, I'm going to pull over a black man today. Yes. And, and that's a problem. So if you if you're a hundred percent on your P's and Q's and that officer you run into that officer on that mm-hmm. day, it doesn't matter what you do, mm-hmm. something something bad is likely to happen. So that is a problem, and that for me is what we need to really be discussing. How do we change the culture of law? And that's enforcement? exactly the point. Because yeah. you to see with right. it, the same example that you gave of don't reach for your brush or tell the officer what you didn't keep your hands mm-hmm. in the will. You mm-hmm. saw all of that unfold even with Philando Castile. He told the officer ahead of time, mm-hmm. I have a registered pistol in this mm-hmm. glove compartment. I'm right. reaching for the registration that you're asking for and was still shot to death. Mm-hmm. So it right. is a shift that has to happen across the board. Mm-hmm. And while right. I agree, um, every police officer isn't necessarily bad. That, that can't be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, again, back to the question of how do you separate the, the racist cops from the not, we're mm-hmm. seeing right now, right. especially in corporate spaces, how many people don't even know that they're racist. Right. And, or right. we're also seeing just as in the Jim Crow era, not much has changed where those same KKK affiliates or now neo-Nazi affiliates are part of the police force. That is what it evolved into. Mm-hmm. So right. it is a, a total... Um, a need for dismantling and a new system. Um, right. Otherwise, there there really wouldn't be a change. Yeah, and and, and, that, and that mindset is is uh, just what you said. Just to just to wrap up on that point of uh, you know a lot of people not knowing that they're even racist. It's because we we we've been living in a system for so long that uh, we've become desensitized to, mm-hmm. yes. and so that the fact that our children are desensitized, we're desensitized. You know, we can't expect people to not be desensitized who who are, are of a different race and ethnicity than us. So absolutely, that's something that and I agree. We need to make sure that we're we're everyone needs to be woke. Everyone, mm-hmm. needs to be, and, I, and I don't mean that in, the, in you know in the in the light <laughs> sense, but no, everyone mm-hmm. really everyone really needs to be woke and understand mm-hmm. what this system has been perpetuating for decades. I completely agree. Absolutely. I remember my son, he, he was in the, in the eighth grade or maybe the ninth, and we were having a discussion in open forum about um, police brutality and um, blacks being killed even back then. And now he's going into his sophomore year in college. But he said something very interesting, and it was that most of the people who are afraid of blacks or have a negative view, they never even had a black friend growing up and what they have gained their opinion from is television. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, media plays a huge role in it. And, you know, um, I was just, I was reading Sister Citizen, which is a book that was um, recommended to me by you, Diani. And I was kind of blown away at the, 
the role that the media has like it's a huge role and i and i got to the part where um the katrina katrina hurricane had happened and how they used these two pictures to kind of move the narrative of um the people yes and that's literally what has gone on year after year after year even now now that all this is going on if you look on netflix every you know they have a whole black lives matter section um amazon is suggesting suggesting these movies for, for you to watch i have xfinity cable and now all these racially driven movies are there for you to watch and it's hard because i find myself as a black woman um, becoming angry and I have to look and read little by little to help myself not become so angry and and um, I just read a, a quote earlier that Diani gave me and it was to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be enraged almost all the time and that is so hard when we watch how long this has been going on and how much people really fight to keep the narrative that the black woman is a uh, ghetto, angry, uneducated, um, just a baby maker, you know, uh, poor. Um, and, and that, you know, the black man is a criminal. He, he's not a good father, you know, mm -hmm. the, the black woman is fatherless. Um, and, and that is so hard. I remember, um, you mentioned Diani, um, um, being teaching our children to even be respectful to the store clerks. And mm -hmm. I remember the first time as an adult that I was racially profiled. I don't think that I have many times in my life. One was when I was shopping and I had several instances where I kind of had to fight the power in corporate and go to HR. And I was two steps away from found discrimination, um, several times on my job and I actually did to receive a promotion and so I was in the store I was in winter as a matter of fact and I was followed around and I and I didn't even pay any attention to it a young woman she asked me um now to rewind and just give a, a background I had just left um practice I, I at the time I was working with youth and I had a step team so I had sweatpants on my hair wasn't really done up but it was in a ponytail and I had a hoodie on um mm -hmm. and so I went in the store and I was shopping for an Easter outfit so I had my jewelry and then I was looking for my shirt now she says um can I hold your jewelry while you continue to shop and I was like sure here and I, and I didn't think anything of it mm -hmm. and and I went on to buy my shirt and then I left the store and I went to another store with my son and then it hit me and I said, was that lady following me? And, and did she ask me to hold the jewelry wow. so that I wouldn't steal it? So I right. said it to my son and I said, we're going back. And he's like, no mom, <laughs> no mom, we don't need to go back. And I was like, yes, we do. It was a teaching moment for him, but he was mm -hmm. so embarrassed. He was like, no, he's 19 now. And now he's very much, he's like that woke child and he's like, fight the power. <laughs> but he was appalled that I went back to the store and I asked to speak to the manager and I said, you know, I told her what happened to me and I said, is that your store protocol? And she was so disheartened and, and appalled that she was like, no, ma'am, I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh my gosh. 
Right. So she followed me around because I was black and because I looked like this. So all yeah. these little white girls in the store, you, you guys don't ask them to hold their journey. She was like, no, I'm so sorry. So I went on corporate. Well, I went on Facebook and I posted the story on Facebook on their page. And someone called me from corporate Los Angeles, California. They sent me a written up apology and they sent me gift cards to Windsor. But nice. I, But I never went back to the store again after that. Well, I, I want to commend you for mm-hmm. take for going back and taking your son with you even you know against his desire to yeah. because that is, those are the teachable moments that mm-hmm. is showing yeah. how you can be vocal and respectful and mm-hmm. stand up for yourself um advocate for yourself the reality is the the ideation of who mm-hmm. you were in that moment stems from black caricatures Yeah. prior to Jim Crow era, but the depiction that they gave is what led people to think this is what black people look like. This is how black people behave. And, mm-hmm. and this, and it, that just seeped into current media where mm-hmm. they figure this is what sells, where it comes right. to music videos, when it comes to reality TV shows, they know that that depiction of black people is what people have already been rooted in. Mm-hmm. So that is what they're going to gravitate towards. Had you right. been a white woman in sweats right. coming from a practice, you would have just been seen as a soccer mom mm-hmm. or a yoga girl. Mm-hmm. It right. would have been nothing of the sort. It's the same as when we see black uh, men enter a store and they have the same type of experience or worse, but there is a white gentleman who's also wearing a, a baseball cap, but it's seen as a dad hat for him mm-hmm. and a fitted for the black man. Mm-hmm. They can both have on sweatsuits, but even if his is, if the black person is wearing a crew neck, he's now wearing a hoodie, mm-hmm. which must be, you know, some gangster look. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the other must be a working professional who's just enjoying his day off or right. an entrepreneur who's going and it, it's, it's an, it's a total perception, a mm-hmm. distorted lens and view of black people. And it does uh, stem from black caricatures and it is promoted by the propaganda put out in, in media. You even saw there was a clip of a woman coming out of a store during all of the, um, the riots recently, which I really, I, I, I don't even like to use the term because of the way that they're, um, they're currently framing it. Mm-hmm. But um, during that time in the looting, there was a white woman coming out of a department store. She's the only one in there, mind you. And she has hands full of garments and things and, and they're thrown all over the place. And the media person says, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe she works there. She's already <laughs> framing her right. to be innocent. Right. But then you shift and you pan over to camera two and there's a, a group of black young people. And now they must be setting things on fire. They must be looting that store, even mm-hmm. though their hands are empty. Right. So there it, it's, it's a framing that is, is pushed and continued that, has to be dismantled and and it does start with the aha moment of oh my gosh this is how i have been seeing mm-hmm. black people even other black people 
Mm-hmm. We have our own hierarchy and, and socioeconomic status. There's not, there's a certain type of black person we're okay with living around. There's mm-hmm. a certain type of black person we're okay of engaging in discourse because the other must not be able to keep up with the conversation due right. to where they live or what they what they've been exposed to or what we assume they have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. We we all have this degree of pre- prejudice that has to be completely erased. It does. And it's so hard. It's so hard. Oh, it's but- very hard mm-hmm. because, right. because you it's literally what you've been conditioned to and for the most part what we've all found a great deal of comfort in. Mm-hmm. We find comfort in, you know, when we get off consecration, mm-hmm. all of us have our shows that we run back to. Yeah. <laughs> our guilty pleasures that we like or the things we like to eat. And, and we notice how different our viewpoint has been with those things um, absent from our diet. Yeah. So whether, and it doesn't have to be this, this you know, reality tv it could simply be you know things like first 48 yeah it could be you know the these different um real-time investigative shows that we think um are so interesting we notice as we start to try to get back into our groove and our routine as usual that this doesn't feel so right Mm-hmm. To 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 my to my viewpoint to my lens this this feels a little off mm-hmm. but we push ourselves back to old comfortability because we're just so tired of having it absent it's the same thing that this world will have to do right now people have been going through a detox and like you said earlier it's hard to take in and and watch so much of it because just as that James Baldwin quote it puts you into a fit of rage all the time so what did people start doing. They got mm-hmm. so tired of that that diet of of removing this negative lens of of vanity and and black lives that they started little by little putting it back in to rotation right. to now you're not seeing as much um, on your feed where it was consistently George Floyd, yeah. Tatiana Jefferson, yeah. Breonna Taylor. Now so it's a lot of selfies. Uh-huh. Maybe the caption mentions the aforementioned that is what we do very true and and we get tired um and we say oh it's just not good for for my mental Mm -hmm. well-being and and sometimes it is and i don't want to to completely diminish it but it it gets to you have to really force yourself into the uncomfortable diet Mm -hmm. of i'm going to be so aware of these things that it makes your natural response exactly what you did at Windsor, where mm-hmm. you went back in and you advocated for yourself. Right. Absolutely. Right. E- right. Edward, I know that you you were raised in predominantly um, white areas. Um, what kind of a- opposition have you faced, if any, as a young black man in these areas growing up? Um. Oh man. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll get, I try to be, I try to be brief, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> I, I could say, I can say that there are, there are certainly obstacles and, uh, and it takes an awakening for you to be woken up to noticing that they are right in front of you and that you've been having to leap over these obstacles your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my mother always told me that, you know, you've got two strikes against you. You're black and you're a male. 
Mm-hmm. It's not three strikes are out for you. One strike and you're done. So you better mm-hmm. be on. You better be on your P's and Q's. You don't have time to make a mistake. Wow. And so basically, you know, I would always make sure that I'm I'm doing the best that I can and giving 110 percent. But there were those times where growing up and in school, you know, I, I you know made made some friends and wanted to hang out and have a good time and and really, you know, started not focusing as as much on my studies as I needed to, and so. Because, you know, I was just getting by. I was just doing enough to get by. That was good enough for me. But how that was already seen, I didn't understand at the time, of course, as being a young boy in school, that uh, that my teachers and, and different people may not have already seen me in the most um, eloquent light, <laughs> in, the mm-hmm. most, in, in, in the light of, you know, he's going to be a successful young man. I'm not saying this mm-hmm. for all my teachers, because I had some right. awesome awesome teachers who really believed in me, really pushed me. But there were some people that I ran into along my journey who really had low expectations for me. And mm-hmm. I experienced firsthand what I call, and many people in the education field call the, the racism of low expectations. What we put on a lot of our black and brown children in this room. And they make a gap there. Where you know black and brown students are just sort of left behind, and you know what we're trying to do in Middletown is we're trying to close this gap. And you even have opposition there from from people um, who are saying, well, "Why are you changing the courses? Why are you personalizing the learning? Why are you doing this? Adding that funding and this funding? Everything is fine the way that it is, but no, everything hasn't been fine because your white child has been doing fine, but these black children have been left behind for decades. Yes, so we're trying wow. to make sure that we close this gap and there's been so many low expectations placed on them that you don't believe they can achieve. I've heard people say they're not ready for these classes. They mm-hmm. can't take these classes. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at them like, are you serious right now? Mm-hmm. Are you really telling me that, that, that this, young, this young black man who came from Georgia and grew up in Connecticut could not take an advanced placement class. Are you telling me right now that I was not capable of that? I Mm. was capable of it. And that's why, you know, as I got older in my high school years, I started to push myself more because I was starting to realize that Mm -hmm. I have so much more to offer Mm -hmm. than what they expect of me. I have so much more to give back than what people have labeled me as. And they have, they have thought that I wasn't, you know, able to go to a four-year university. I did. They, mm-hmm. they thought that I couldn't run for office. I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this to boast myself up because right. any, other, any other young black man or woman in my position could do it. But I'm saying that there was clearly that awakening that I had to have to understand that, wow, a lot of people around me that smiled in my face really thought that I wasn't capable of achieving near, nearly anything. Mm-hmm. And, and as I got older, I started to hear the comments and hear what they, their thoughts truly are. And, mm-hmm. and, and seeing how the Lord directed and guided my steps um, to be able to prove all of them wrong and to be an example for the next generation uh, is truly amazing. And I'll say that again, you know, because God has, has truly been the anchor and the rock of my life to where as long as I dug deep and saw after him, he would always lead me and, and you know, say, son, this is the direction you need to go. Son, don't mm-hmm. listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to the people because I created you in my image and you can do all things through mm-hmm. Christ that strengthens you. So I put that, uh, those words deep into my heart and I, and I ran towards success and I ran towards the things that I knew that I could achieve regardless of what anybody had thought of me because of the color of my skin or, or who I was. Yeah, that, that is amazing. That's an awesome example for 
black men. I remember when my son was in his freshman year of school, he, for the first two marking periods, kept getting this bad grade, these low grades in math. So in my house, um, A and Bs are okay, and Cs are not acceptable. So I had to continually talk to this teacher, but we were talking over email. And, you know, I finally got to meet her at report card conference. And I said, you know, what you're describing about my son, you know, just saying that, like, he will get in trouble if he said, everybody in the class, just be quiet, y'all, calm down. He would, he would then get on, she would then get on my son. Um, so she said to me when I had talked to her about his grade, which was a C, her comment was, a C is good enough for him. And mm. I, I, I blew up right at that moment. <laughs> I said, mm. excuse me, we do not allow Cs in my household. And we were already two months, two weeks into the new marking period at the time where I went to the report card conference. So I demanded right there on the spot to see his grades that had been at, put in for the past two weeks. And she had none to show me. So mm. how am I to know that my son is truly earning a C in your classroom? I reported her to the office and within that week I had his grades come in the mail. And do you know he had all A's for the past two weeks? Oh, coincidentally now he has all A's. Mm. So if we do not stay on our 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 children's teachers and make sure that um they are doing the right thing by our children, they can easily fall under under the gap our children are are under attack um completely you know in their education and i'm i'm glad that they have someone like you um edward in place to fight these systems um especially in these in in neighborhoods where um there aren't um uh so many of them you know the numbers aren't so great uh, for black children they may not be testing on on higher levels they may not be pushed and um, be encouraged to achieve higher things but you're right yes they can take AP level classes and and they can um, excel one of the things that I see decreasing is education on the facts and I know I'm skipping a little bit over my notes but we'll go back um, I remember in high school taking black history it was called African-American history. And it was a course my sophomore year. And by the time we graduated, that class was no longer existing. Um, so in well, high school, did you guys have any African-American studies at all? You know, I, um, I actually, and I graduated from college uh, last December, you know, from Central Connecticut State University. And that my last semester, to be completely honest with you, Camille, was the first semester I had ever taken uh, a black history course wow. and in my entire life. And I was really upset at the fact that this is the first time I'm ever taking it. It was not available at, mm. uh, at any of my schools growing up. And um, that's something that, of course, the state is just now moving forward to do. They passed legislation to, to implement this in, into our school systems. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, by the time I had graduated, it was already done. And so I, I, I'm a senior in college and I'm just now taking this in my final semester. Wow. And I learned more about our history, our people's history than I have in my entire life. And I had to do research on my own to find out, you know, even more and read, read Carter G. Woodson and read. Uh, you know, Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass and 
just I had to do this research on my own. I, I couldn't, I, I, I didn't have it available to me at the time. So, wow. Yeah. That is yeah. crazy. What about I you, went Deanna? to a predominantly white high school in Stratford, Connecticut. And I remember actually getting into an argument with my history teacher over um, the civil war <laughs> and uh, his um, perception of it. And that was my sort of input of black history but we did not have any type of black history course, um, which in truth, black history is American history and it does not need to be separated. I will just say that. Um, right. But we, we, didn't, um, we didn't go into detail um, at all. It wasn't until I was um, in my undergraduate studies because I did intentionally choose to go to a historically black university and that is when um, my one of my first courses was really diving in to um, Black history. And it was not a, a course labeled Black history. It was mm. exactly as it's, I believe, um, should be taught, which mm. it, it's, it's an inclusion. Um, and, and that, unfortunately, just like Edward, that was my first um, time being in a classroom setting. Everything else for me had been self-study. Wow. Right. You know, and this I, is, oh, I apologize. Go ahead. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, I'm sitting here shaking my head. I'm just like, wow. But it's, it goes to the point of what you said, when parents need to be involved in mm -hmm. their children's learning. I yeah. um, am always the outspoken one um, when it comes to um, what people kind of get riled up about. Mm -hmm. And I remember Beyonce did a performance um, at an award show, and she was um, re sort of a, a reenactment of the African goddess Oshun. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I, as a Christian, I have many Christian followers, and mm -hmm. the entire timeline was talking about how they felt this was inappropriate, and um, or even levels of it being considered demonic. Mm -hmm. And I then posed the question, then why are you okay with your children learning about and being tested on Greek gods and goddesses? Yeah. Um, in, in their studies. And we do that starting around fifth grade, sixth mm -hmm. grade. Mm -hmm. And it continues on throughout middle school and into high school and mm -hmm. some many college courses. And in truth, those um, idols were actually mirrored after African idols. So it actually, or, or I should really just say stolen from the um, depiction of African idols. So it is, again, what we're so conditioned or desensitized to be, um, to find acceptable and then be enraged about. We should be um, advocating for a change in textbooks. There okay. should be Black yes authors of textbooks. One of my goals is to write a textbook because it, they will wipe us out of history. Majority mm -hmm. of the things that people are finding out now is not new information. It, it is not just being uncovered that these things existed. They should have been what you were taught and tested on throughout grade school because mm -hmm. it is American history. Yes. Right. I agree with that. Black history is American history. And it's, this is a part of the problem is that when we're learning American history and then it only comes up in February when it's Black History Month and we learn mm -hmm. about um, you know, Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, 
And those are phenomenal leaders to take nothing away from them, but there is a whole host of history that we have beyond them. And we don't even learn about the reconstruction era and that, you know, that after slavery, there was black senators and congressmen and mm -hmm. council persons and mayors. And, and then we had the right to vote back then. And before Jim Crow even came on the scene and then learning the history of, of how we, how we, you know, had the migration to the North and, and all of the things that that encompassed. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff that we don't learn. And because mm -hmm. we don't know it ourselves, um, we're not able to truly combat when we're in discussions, when we're in, when we're in uh, debates, when we're our friends, we're talking with people on the street about these things who have a totally different viewpoint. Uh, we're, we're not, we're not, and so that's what we need to learn history uh, as fluently possible so that we be able to relate and then begin to teach others and to teach our children and our children's children so that uh, we, we make sure that history is not whitewashed but yeah. it's, it's written, it's written the yes. right way. Yeah. And I really think that that is the answer to mm -hmm. all of the questions previously posed. Mm -hmm. Education, true education. If, if we, and I think the reason why um, America does not include the truth about their history is because they don't want to address the truth of who they are, mm -hmm. not not try to put it in a past tense of this is who we were. They, they would have to, why we see all these monuments coming down, they would have to acknowledge that these were not great people. Uh, these were racist, greedy, gluttonous people um, who were filled with evils and hatreds and created a system to make sure that white supremacy prevails and the suppression of all other races. So, I, the only way that we see a total reconstruction of the system and a total destruction of these mindsets and these prejudices is uh -huh. actually to face our real history and it uh -huh. be a learning experience. If this next generation would actually to come up with real history books, uh -huh. real teachings, yeah, everyone, white, black, Latina, wouldn't matter. You would have no choice but to acknowledge that the person I'm sitting next to, that is why my parents or my grandparents or my great grandparents may have had a racist or a prejudice towards them because they weren't taught to see the real struggles. And then there would never be a question as to why we say Black Lives Matter. There would Absolutely. never be a rebuttal with All Lives Matter. Yeah. They would completely understand the the heinous acts and the hunting that has been towards black people for centuries right right absolutely um before we wrap up i know there was a lot that i missed a little um on our agenda but this was good anyhow um what can we do right now i know there's voting there's protesting there's emailing i know that a lot of people don't even understand that voting outside of the presidency is really important because it's not even the president that will uh, by himself make a law you know so ever can you can you hone in a little bit on how important voting is Oh, yes. I, I definitely want to stress the importance of voting and, and on all levels of government because, mm -hmm. you know, the president of the United States is one person, but that person uh, is not God and doesn't have complete 
power over all laws and things that are happening in this country. There's local level, there's, there's statewide level. We have city council races, we have mayoral races, state senators, and these are the people that really impact the laws that are going to hit you the most, um, the, the, the taxes that are going to hit you the most, the education system that's going to hit you the most. Um, you know, it, it, not to say the president doesn't have a role in all that, but the people closest to you, the government closest to you is the government that impacts you the most. So what we need to do is we need to always make sure that we're paying attention to who is on the ballot. Or, you know, get, get some people to, together to register uh, uh, people all in our communities to vote as soon as they turn 18, as soon as they are able to, to uh, you know, go ahead and go to those polls. Let's make sure that we're, we're, we're getting our people out there in droves to vote and vote with our, uh, our, our collective uh, power. Because as, as a community, we have, we have a lot of strong power in our voice. And if we can vote and speak to the nation and tell them with our vote that enough is enough by voting in people who will make the changes, who will undo the systems, as Ms. Edwards was just talking about, undo the white supremacy that has been embedded in the layers of the system and being able to, and this takes time, but being able to do this uh, by, by, by changing laws and so forth uh, will, will really help us in the generations to come. So it starts with the voting. It starts with on all levels of government. I know right now, 2020, we're really focused on uh, the presidency, but 2021, look at what uh, your local ballot uh, has on it. Who's running your school board? Who's running for your city council? Because the school board is going to textbooks that we're talking about. They're going to determine the black history that gets taught or does not get taught. They're going to determine how many black teachers were hired to teach children. Or they're going to determine who's, who, who's going to... Um, be able to, 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 you know, have access to resources and, and school programs and lunch programs. All of these things are super important. And so I just want to stress that uh, significance to everybody who's listening. Just look it up, Google it, uh, go to your city hall, town hall, when it's safe, of course, and make sure that we can uh, get all the information that we possibly can so that we can go to the polls and vote. I am involved in Republican politics because I wanted to see changes in the party that I'm not, I'm not happy to see a lot of the things that uh, on, on a federal level that have been perpetuated at times. So I want to see up and we're able to make changes on both sides. We're able to have a voice and a seat at the table. Diani, before we wrap up, can you help us with the responsibility right now of the believer. You know, we talked about everyone that is, you know, African-American and, and even not just African-American going out to the polls, but what is our responsibility right now as a believer? As a believer, it's definitely to be educated um, in the natural and warring in the spiritual. Um, this has been a long-standing um, a fight. And it's also the responsibility of the believer not to over-spiritualize um, this moment and to hold accountable those that they've uh, gleaned from or they've supported or respected regardless of, um, of their, their seat or their mantle with all respect, um, but holding them accountable. We've seen many believers make this shift to from gospel to CCM music, and the greatest proponents of that music and that culture have been either silent or 
very much, which it is synonymous, complicit to um, the, the hatred and the violence towards Black lives, stating um, hyperboles or um, making frivolous statements like, well, what about Black on Black crime, which it takes and, and deflects from the issue at hand. And it's very irresponsible because the reality is when you live in close proximity to a, a race, you then have your violence and your interactions with that race. So everyone lives around their own race or kind here in America. Um, so that really is a, a fictional thing to even bring up. So it, it's important that we, we, we make sure that we're operating so well in the natural while keeping our spiritual armor on. Um, just as was stated, it is important that we are taking a hand in um, the political arena and not trying to completely separate church and state. We have to vote. Many of the issues that we discussed today can be changed through a local platform. So when you see things and you wanna get excited about the DC mayor, painting Black Lives Matter on the walkway. Also remember that DC's Department of Corrections budget for 2020 fiscal year is almost $180 million. And where those funds could be better allocated. Wow. Also pay attention to the fact that when you walk, because black again, Black churches are in Black communities, when you go to the Walmart or the Target in your area, you will notice a great deal of police. There's over-policing near your community, near your church or around your church. And then it, it creates this, this perception of crime occurring when people are just living. But when you go to a Walmart or a Target in the suburbs, there's not an officer to be found because they trust people to basically police themselves. And that is what that is so defunding the police is about. Mm -hmm. It is, it isn't to dismantle the entire police force. It is to stop the use of over-policing and creating a perception of crime in areas where people should just be able to live. And that is the responsibility of the believer to be cognizant of, of what you have allowed yourself to be socially desensitized to. Because yes. we have the ability to see and a greater scope and a greater depth than others because we can operate in both the natural and the spiritual. And if we are strong in both areas, we will be able to take such an integral role in this fight that the next generation will not have to do it. Absolutely. That's that, powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, that really was. Well, guys, I thank you so much. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you guys want to add? Uh, <laughs> and we covered a lot. We covered a lot. We, we did. I, I would just say this, just to piggyback briefly off of uh, Diani's last point. I'm reading a book right now by Eric Mason called Woke Church, and he's talking mm -hmm. a lot about how the church was silent during slavery, silent during Jim Crow, and it can't afford to be silent anymore. And specifically when we talk about uh, the white evangelical church um, in America, but we have to all realize that together uh, as a church, we have the collective power to be able to really speak out and denounce and, and stop a lot of the things that have been happening and that, that could happen in the future. 
Uh, but we can't be afraid to use the power that God gave us. Our, our Heavenly Father gave us authority on this planet. He gave us authority to be able to, to speak truth and love and righteousness and holiness. So when we're silent, we allow room for the enemy to just have free reign. And so we Absolutely. can't allow that. We can't allow that anymore. We have to speak up and know who we are and whose we are and the power and authority that we have as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So I just want to say thank you, uh, Mrs. Edwards, for for that that explanation as well and thank you uh camille for having us on this was excellent and i yeah. i'm certainly encouraged by this production it's certainly very much needed right now thank you yeah. so much when i, I definitely oh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I, I would just definitely um keep the focus that we when we're fighting it's because we aren't still free mm-hmm. um you know we we celebrated juneteenth um, last week, which was beautiful, and it was like flowing in a sea of blackness in every state. Mm-hmm. I loved it, um, but we can't quite um, celebrate the abolishment of slavery because it is still legal, um, and we see that with mass, incar- mass incarceration efforts. Right. We uh, have in America the highest incarcerated population, mm. and many of the places that we go to shop and we support with our funds are actually utilizing this free labor of, um, of legal slavery by sending their workload to prisons. Yeah. So we just wanna be mindful that we still need to work to ratify the 13th Amendment, mm-hmm. which does allow for forced labor um, in prisons. And that is how these large corporations are able to sell so many things to us at such a low cost because it's costing them less than nothing to get it um, made through these these avenues. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no reason um, that we're seeing so many Black men have such a difficulty to lead uh, a life of normalcy other than mass incarceration, things like plea deals for things that they've never done, Mm -hmm. things um, like child support. And this is where the role of the Black woman comes into play Mm -hmm. and how we have to shift our perspective of Black men and their role, understand their plight and the fight and attack that is against them Mm -hmm. um, and, and how it's so easy for men to be given and black women as well we Mm -hmm. cannot be forgotten but it's so easy for black men to be given this uh this stigma and this stain to where they're unable to pick up and and have a a life one of quality because now they're tied to a system missouri even has this uh lifetime supervision even when you finish probation you you you've done your sentence you um completed all of the probation efforts, they will require you to still have an ankle monitor for the rest of your life and check in with a parole officer, even when you are supposedly free. Mm. So we have to literally, the the whole system has to be eradicated. Um, Back from, you know, the New Deal <laughs> and, and housing efforts and redlining um, and, and what's that led us to today and, and why we have so many issues with credit. All of it is connected. And, and if we don't recognize that, that we won't ever uh, see any true advancement of the Black community. We will always have a portion of us who might make it and the majority be suppressed. 
So um, I, I do want us to make sure the focus stays on mass incarceration, that we do not forget Black women, mm-hmm. that Breonna Taylor is, is a very real example of what's happened. Sandra Bland is a very real example of what has happened, mm-hmm. of, of how we can be so, um, we, we can really defend our, our Black brothers to the ends of the earth and then there's no one there left to defend us. Yeah. Um, and right. and right. It, it falls on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Moments of Joy podcast. What, what an airfall. And we have work to do as a culture and we have work to do as believers. Um, I am definitely going to be getting that book, Woke Church. <laughs> um, that was the name of it, I think. Yep, Woke yes, Church. Yeah, Woke <laughs> Church. It's an yeah. awesome book. I'm definitely going to get it. And you guys, Diani and Edward, thank you so much for joining me today my pleasure (laughs) thank you for having me again this was amazing you're welcome all right guys until next week don't forget you always have the option to choose joy bye bye